I don't suppose that if you were getting ready to put one of your children down for bed, that the first three verses of our text for today would serve as really ideal bedtime story material. Where Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Now brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. That's not the kind of, of section of scripture or story that you read to your children and then kiss the child on the forehead and say, sweet dreams, hope you have a wonderful evening. No, I, I don't think that would be ideal, not only for bedtime stories, but those verses are also verses that probably strike a chord with many others in the world today. In fact, those are the kind of verses that, that turn many off to Christianity. Verses like these ones and others in Scripture that talk about God and, and judgment and wrath, those aren't really the, the preferred ideal of God that people have in their minds. And that shouldn't surprise us, maybe in a, in a culture that, that doesn't like anything to do with judgment, that, of course, it wouldn't want a God that wants anything to do with judgment or retribution or wrath or any of those things. It's kind of a, a culture that, that takes its God like, like ordering a pizza. What do you want on yours? What do you want on yours? I'll take my God. I'll design him. I'll redefine him uh, with these toppings, or I, I prefer these toppings over here. And, and we have God any way that we like him, but not with the retribution, not with wrath, not with judgment. The funny thing is, we're all in favor of, of judgment. As we realize that judgment is simply justice being carried out. And if you disagree, then I would ask you to imagine yourself as a small business owner. A small business owner whose, whose business was broken into and uh, several thousands, tens of thousands of dollars of goods or products were stolen. And imagine the police, they found the, the culprits, those who had stolen from you. Would you want judgment to be carried out if it meant justice being served? those individuals and, and you somehow um, getting your money or your products back? Or if a drunk driver hit and injured or killed a family member, would you want judgment to take place if it meant justice uh, for your family member or your friend? Or if somebody published some slanderous false article about you online or in a newspaper or a magazine that you know is completely untrue, uh, would you want justice to be carried out and and judgment to be rendered in each of those cases. Of course we would. We all are in favor of that kind of judgment when it means justice being delivered. But we don't like judgment in terms of how we like to think of God. And you probably know why, don't you? Think of the little boy who is minding his own business and suddenly his, his dad calls out to him and says, Son, Come here right now. We need to talk. Now, those, those words could be spoken the same way and yet evoke two entirely different emotions in that boy. On the one hand, the boy could hear his dad say that and, and suddenly could be sparked with curiosity. I, I wonder what my dad wants. Why would he call me here with that sense of, of urgency? On the other hand, 
Those words could mean terror or fear for the son if he knows that he's done something wrong and his dad found out about it. So in that case, those two completely different emotions, one curiosity or, or maybe just interest in what dad wants and the other terror or fear, what changes in either of those scenarios? Now maybe, maybe dad's voice would be a little bit different depending on how he spoke it and why. But by and large, the only determining factor that decides what kind of emotion or how that boy is going to feel when his dad calls him is whether or not he's been guilty if he did something wrong. If, if he did nothing wrong, then he has nothing to fear. But if, on the other hand, he's made a mistake or, or done something that was disobedient to his father, then he has every reason to be afraid of his father calling him. So you see why we don't like this idea of judgment and God going hand in hand. It's because our conscience convinces us, it convicts us, that when God says, come here, I need to talk to you right now, that it's not a matter of curiosity, that it's rather a matter of terror or fear, especially when we consider these qualities about how God has revealed himself, that he's omniscient, all-knowing, that he's omnipresent, that he's everywhere, that he's omnipotent, that he's all-powerful. Those things rule out any way God not knowing that that we've done something wrong, that it's ever going to escape his notice, or that maybe we pulled something off and he was looking the other direction or didn't hear it, or or that we simply flat out fooled him. No, we know with those qualities, there's no such reality. God knows everything. The judge knows everything that we have done wrong. So no, it doesn't matter that you didn't speak that bitter response to somebody's political comment that set you off because the judge knows what you thought. And it doesn't matter that no one else was in you with, with you in that room when you were on that website and then the next one because the judge has a browser history that can never be cleared. It doesn't matter if you fooled your wife, if you lied to, to your children, if you deceived your, your boss, The judge knows the truth of of every last disgraceful detail that you are are trying to hide from others. So you see why we have every reason to be afraid of the judge. And and not only that, because he knows all, sees all, and, and is able to do anything, but it's also when we consider the consequence or the sentence that he renders when it comes to such judgment of being guilty of the sins that we know full well we're guilty of. Listen to those words that, that Paul used to describe in, in the, this picture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He used the word destruction in verse 3. And then later on in verse 9, he talks about suffering wrath. Destruction and wrath, those are not the kind of, of sentence or consequence we want to deal with because of our sin. And this actually brings up another sticking point. When people point to wanting nothing to do with Christianity whatsoever or, or not ha- having any interest in it, not going to give it the time of day, this is the other detail that really rubs them the wrong way. This idea of destruction or wrath or judgment or hell. So we can reasonably understand, okay, maybe it makes sense that, that there's a heaven, there's this paradise where, where in many people's minds good people go to, or we'll say even believers go to heaven, but what they struggle with, those outside looking into Christianity say, 
But why, why would those who don't go to heaven have to suffer such an awful punishment in this fires uh, of hell for eternal torment for what they've done? Why can't God be loving and, and let some people into heaven and just leave the rest of them alone? Or, or maybe they just disappear or cease to exist. Why would suffering have to be so awful and unimaginable in, in hell? Does God delight in that? And that really is a misunderstanding of what heaven is and what it means to be in God's presence. See, it's not as if God just kind of was was sitting by himself one day thinking, all right, it's pretty straightforward. I've, I've done everything necessary for people to have heaven, but everybody who doesn't believe in me, I am going to delight in seeing them squirm and be uncomfortable and not just uncomfortable but suffer fury and wrath and unending agony and pain forever in hell. As if he's thinking and he has different guys coming up to him saying, hey, hey, we could do this in hell to make it just a little bit worse. And God says, no, dial it up just a little bit more. I want more pain. I want more suffering. I want more, more, more. That's not God. When scripture pictures for us what hell is, what separation from God is like, it's not because God delights in any of those things. What God is simply trying to convey to us is that that's how awful life and eternity apart from him really are. So it's not as if he drummed up this awful imaginable place just to delight in watching people suffer. He's trying to help you and me understand that's how wretched, that's how God-awful it is to spend eternity apart from him. With him, blessing, grace, goodness, joy, eternal bliss. But he'll do anything he can to convey to us how absolutely awful it is to be separated from him forever. And the thing of it is, when we talk about this this picture of judgment for God, remember that if you haven't done anything wrong, like that little boy, if if there's, there's nothing that that has to be faced, no consequences, then we have nothing to fear. And that's what Paul was pointing out to the Thessalonians as he wrote to them then, and he writes to to believers today in verses 9 and 10. It says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Paul says he didn't appoint. That's another way of saying that God didn't choose us to suffer wrath. Some people do believe that, but the Bible is very clear that, that God doesn't appoint or choose anybody to suffer hell apart from him forever. In fact, he appoints, he chooses quite the opposite. He chooses salvation. And to be crystal clear on how that salvation comes about so that there is no confusion, he says, this comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not by your works, not by who you voted for, not by how often you go to church, not by how good a person you are, but through Jesus Christ. And very specifically then in verse 10, he goes on to say, how did this come about through Jesus Christ? He died for us. It's by Jesus' death that we know we have nothing to fear. And so, so here's, here's where that misdirected focus often is. When people get stuck, when they get hung up on, on their disdain for God because of their displeasure with a hell, 
where the focus really should be is not on, on how awful it is to be apart from God, but how wonderful it is to be with him and how God himself made it possible for everybody. That is God's delight, not to see anybody suffer at all, but, but rather what should make us just stand in awe and leave us with our jaws dropped to the floor is that though we know, because our consciences convict us and so does God's word, though we know that, that we ought to be terrified when, when God speaks those words, come to me, come here, I've got to speak to you right now, we know what he ought to say to us, but instead he has chosen to exercise that discipline and that sentence, not on us, but on his son Jesus Christ. It's by his death we know that that destruction, that wrath that Paul talked about is not our lot in life. That's the difference that it makes through Jesus Christ. So friends, that means that, that we are free to face judgment because we have nothing to fear. And if we aren't living in that fear, that, that means that we live differently in this world than others who, who, though they may not readily acknowledge it, back there somewhere inside is, is a fear of, of having to, to be called to account for their failures, their sin in life. But that's not us who are in Christ Jesus. No, we live differently, and, and this is how Paul describes the way that we are, are to live in verses 5 and 6 and 8. He says, he says you are all sons and daughters of the light, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us be awake and sober. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. He says, because we aren't afraid of that judgment, because in Christ we are free because he has died for us and we know the judgment, not guilty, is, is already ours, then we live as children who live in the light, not in the darkness. And, and he uses that word sober, being self-controlled, really having control of your, your faculties and being focused and single-minded in your life and your walk with Jesus. To live in love and faith, and hope. Are those qualities that, that demonstrate the way that you live on a day-to-day -day basis because you're free to face judgment knowing what the verdict already is? It is true. Paul writes it elsewhere in, in his letter to the Romans. One of my favorite verses, so simple, so beautiful, so profound. This is why judgment is not something we need to be afraid of. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That is God's judgment to all who are in Christ Jesus, regardless of your past, whether it's years ago or last week or last night. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Those sins of which we repent and, and are truly sorry are, are forgiven. And with that forgiveness comes God's verdict, his judgment, not guilty. So my encouragement to you would be first and foremost to be encouraged by that truth. To know that your freedom in Christ means that you can face judgment without fear. 
but then also to take to heart Paul's encouragement at the end, the last verse of what he wrote to us in Thessalonians. The very uh, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Do you know anybody these days that needs encouragement or building up? I'm not talking about just an, an attaboy or, or just a, hey, everything's going to be fine, a promise that we can't necessarily make this side of heaven because we know there are hardships. We know there are, are more struggles and challenges and adversity around the corner. But how do we encourage them the way that Paul is talking about? To give them the encouragement that we have in Christ. In Christ, you have nothing to be afraid of. You are free. With that freedom that is ours in Christ comes the absolute certainty that God's declaration when we face him someday is that we are not guilty. We are not condemned. Jesus assures us of it. So those that are struggling, those who need the encouragement, those that are, are, are troubled, those that are, are facing uncertainty in their future, remind them of this hope and this encouragement that in Christ they're free. Judgment is not something they need to be afraid of. God's judgment stands to all who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Amen.